But what's worrying, Gordon, is that's now it's now spilling over into life. I can't concentrate on anything. I know, I know. It's unbelievable. Are we recording? Yeah. No. no. All right. Sorry. Are just, we recording it? Yes, we are. <laughs> you could have told me. Right. Okay. Shall we start again? <laughs> no, no, Gordon. I was just, just, I'm fascinated with your theory, and I think you're absolutely right. Well, I mean, I just spend my time flicking through all the variations of things on Netflix and don't actually settle down to watch anything. It's an absolute nightmare. I know. As I said, it spilled over into my shops at Tesco's. You know, I, 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 I look at all this thing. It's like a, they're all like box sets sitting in the shelf. I can't pick one. It's just, you know. I don't know what the syndrome yeah. is, but it's a syndrome. I, I spend my life gazing at which, whether I'm going to have plum tomatoes or cherry tomatoes. It's just, I, I don't know. It's a nightmare. It's Below a nightmare. deck anyway. or nightfall. That's just, I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell designated, me. Designated survivor or Marcella. It's a nightmare. <laughs> Don't tell me you haven't binge-watched Below Deck, Gordon. I know you have. I know you have. No, I haven't, but I know Leonard, um, our, uh, our our MD and owner, loves Below Deck. <laughs> well, well, welcome to episode six. This is Whiskey Unscripted. Uh, my name is Gordon Dallas. I'm Gordon Dundas. And I, basically, Gordon, it's uh, sit down and we just chat and talk about whiskey. We do. And, well, we get other people to come and help us as well to chat about whiskey and um, very informal and very unplanned, which is the key to the, su- well, <laughs> I wouldn't say success, key to the delivery of this podcast. You're such a, di- such a diplomat, Gordon, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So we'll try to start every show with a little bit of whiskey news or a little bit yeah. of whiskey. What, what's it to be today? Well, um, I, I'm, I'm actually got a whiskey in front of me. I'm, I'm, I, I like to call it because I'm preparing. Um, as we oh, have yes. a we have a tasting coming up, but I've I've got a little Tamdu Bat Strength Number Five, oh. which I drank only a couple of episodes ago, but I'm really loving it. So I'm drinking that a nice strong sherry cask whiskey, absolutely fantastic for this autumnal time of year, and it's looking very autumnal today. Gordon, just on that question, we had one of our regular uh, contributors. Uh, he listens to the show, uh-huh. and uh, Petey Pete asked about the decision Tamdu took to mature entirely in sherry casks. It's an interesting decision. Um, it's a very, very bold decision. I love it because it's a decision that says everything about quality of whiskey. Um, the accessibility of those casks is limited. Um, so therefore we're not producing as much tamdu as we could if we use bourbon and other types of cast, but it's a commitment to a style. It's a commitment to a, a, you know, a journey on, on a particular type of maturation. And I really, really love it. And the fact that we do it and, and so tamdu is a slow burn for us. It's a, it's a distillery that has a lot of volume and a lot of, uh, you know, can produce a lot of spirit, but but we use that in other parts of our business. So the sherry cast commitment using those fine casts from Spain was a real, was a, was Leonard wanted to produce a, a, a sherry cast Speyside, and so wow. we're two right name, behind it and love checks, it. So. Two name checks in the first three minutes for Leonard. Oh, I know, okay, absolutely. And I know. There had been Tamdu uh, bourbon barrels used in Tamdu pre two thousand and nine when it closed. Was that be right? Yeah, that's right. There's some of the old old uh, Tamdus. Um, not in the current bottle. Um, we'd have had some bourbon and sherry married together, and but it was never as it was. It was a very different style. Great whiskey, but just a different style. So, the the spirit really suits sherry casks. So yeah, it was a really really good decision. And and you know, obviously Glen Goyne uses a lot of them as well. So, 
it's a it's a good uh, platform for Tamdu to develop its uh, its style and its its status within the industry. Well, we're 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 recording this on October the fourteenth, Gordon, and it'll be going out on October the fourteenth. But on October the fifteenth, yeah. we'll be doing a a Tamdu tasting. Which, if you don't miss it, and you've got listened to this podcast at the end of October, it'll still be up there as a yeah, yeah. you know piece of yeah. tasting theatre. Absolutely, Absolutely. really looking forward to that. So that's a yeah. little bit of news. Can I just say to remind the listeners of the podcast, if you are listening to this in October twenty twenty you can still take part in the great Chaz dinner party, of which uh, Glengoyne features as part of the whiskey tasting. You can go to the Glengoyne website or Chaz's own website and click on the link, and then you can go through to the whiskey tasting part. So you can order your dinner packs, you can order the tasting whiskey part, and you get some lovely Glengoyne whiskey, and then a link to a video where myself, Fred McCauley, and Andy Nicholl taste the whiskeys and do a quiz challenge. So Chaz, fantastic. look out for that. That's really good. Yeah, I, fantastic. It's a panic there. Just disconnected for a second there, but we're back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's going to be great, and that's fantastic. And uh, uh, well done on that, Gordon. So another another um, piece of uh, not so much news. You mentioned your whiskey. I forgot to mention mine in the panic. Oh. To get, remind myself of the Chaz charity there, and you know this is a lovely whiskey I've got in my hand. I pause there, Gordon, because. I am going south of the border. Oh, no. very nice. I have got myself an English single malt whiskey from the Cotswolds. Mm. Ah, nice, nice. nice. Now, and, you know, great whiskey doesn't have to come from Scotland, single malt. So, no, absolutely. Not, um, no, no, no peat at all. Lovely, fruity, honey, apple flavours there. And not to drop it in Gordon but I did actually stand right beside the Cotswold distillery on the lovely lake of Luzerne in Switzerland last year and managed to go through some of their core range if not most of it and uh, lovely stuff lovely people and uh, yeah, they made they a are. really good job of it yeah no uh, the the brainchild of Daniel Zor I think that's how you pronounce his second name so Zor so Zor um and great to see you know great you know, we've got Bimber as well. There's a lot of great distilleries in England um, producing great whiskey. And, you know, the the more the merrier, in my view. Um, and that's a really good to see more more distilleries um, doing stuff like that. The other big news this week is my very good friends at Arden and Merkin Distillery. Oh, yes. Um, uh, which is the Adelphi uh, sort of um, group, of, for, for want of a better word. Um uh, have released their first single malt um, from the distillery, which has been hugely well received, of course. And, and congratulations to everybody there, um, with Alec Bruce, Alex Bruce, etc., and all the team there, Connell, and all those guys producing a great first single malt. Still trying to get my hands on a bottle, but they've been in touch. Uh, hopefully, we're going to do that, and we'll get it. We'll get it sampled on here in the coming episodes and we'll hopefully get Alex on to talk us through it in the future along with one or two other industry people between now and when we finish this That's amazing. season in the run up to Christmas. Gordon, um, still capacity for new distilleries and for uh-huh. new whiskies out there? What do you mean by that? Litres of alcohol or what do you mean by capacity? Is there still room for new distilleries? Correct, correct. M- yeah, I mean... I... Marketplace, I suppose, and, and enthusiasm from the public and... Exactly. Yeah, I mean, look, it's like everything, you know, and I think this is the point that you need to, to sort of grasp with whiskey is, is, is uh, what's your unique selling point as a new 
producer of whiskey. Um, and, um, you know, that can be, you could go something like the Waterford route, which has gone very provenance, barley-led, um, which obviously there is a difference if you really focus on that. Um, you can go geographically, so you might want to be the only distillery on an island in wherever. You can go, you know, style-led in terms of maybe doing a bit of a distillation, something a little bit different. There's a whole range of things you can do, but there's no doubt that when you have three ingredients and you make single malt the same way, there's a sort of limit to what you can do uh, in terms of the rules of the SWA and um, other things. So yeah. that's why it's always important to remember that, you know, while there's no finite limit to the distilleries um, and everyone will have a different style, um, you know, you really ultimately everybody uses three ingredients. So there's only, you know, there's there's really only a certain way you can go, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the public but, still but, with us? Do you think this public are still, not with us, but yeah. with, with whiskey in general? I think so. I mean, I think I obviously so. with... I think so. I mean, I think it's what's really challenging at the moment is, you know, we rely on really good bars and really good, um, you know, education through the on-trade. So when people are in hotel bars or in bars like we went through the list of great bars in Scotland uh, not, like not a couple of episodes ago, and you walk into a bar like that and, and these guys know, what are you looking for? Oh, great. And, and without, you know, really influencing them, they can really push somebody into the direction of your whiskey if it's what they're looking for and with those closed at the moment in Scotland and in you know just been a really tough oh, six tough. months for for our partners in the on trade and um, you know it, it's difficult and yeah. um, you know I just was you know we, we really want this to, to to go and get back to where we were from a from everybody's you know perspective of uh, of their you know the you know incomes and all that sort of thing. Well, was that article um, and then, on this, the CNN article that you know, we were both talking right. about a couple of days ago, just outlined, that was about the impact this COVID and the pandemic has had on the Scotch whiskey industry. And um, yeah. it's not just for, for, for consumption, it's for tourism as well. It's a huge part of Scotland huge. is the whiskey yeah. tourism. We talked about that well, a few episodes ago. So that was that yeah. article. Yeah, and we, you know, we've, and we've talked about tourism, we've talked about our, you know, the you know the challenges we've had with Glengoyne. That's even more of an effect on on somewhere like Isla or Arran. Arran is probably the most visited distillery in Scotland. I think it is. You know, even more so than Glengoyne. But you know, they've had very little people through the door in the last uh, six months. I would think. Um, add into that, you know, the accessibility, the issues with the ferries that they've had, and and Arran is. Uh, Aaron is a, you know, it's just one of the issues that 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 that, that people are having. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. um, you know, John Campbell was also quoted in that, and he's saying it's very quiet on on Isla at the moment. John Campbell, who was on the show, obviously, um, manager uh, Lafroy, Lafroy, yeah, and he's just saying, you know, Lafroy's a quiet distillery. There's no tourists, um, and you know, you know, there was no whiskey festival this year, Facial, which would be you know swells the population by three times so so there's a lot of a lot of uh a lot of issues but we we, we just hope that we can get through this as a, as an industry from pe for people's sake predominantly rather than anything else um well, well, well people that are the market that, that's that's great it's about confidence in the the market and the future as well you look on it like that 
Exactly. Of exactly. And, uh, yeah. Now, there's there's still a lot of excitement, and there was you know there was virtual whiskey shows last weekend, and there's been quite a there's a virtual thing on this week for Can, which is the travel retail. Um, you know, focusing on travel retail, which is which yes. is really good to keep the excitement going. So, so you know, things are things are uh, things are on things that are one, still Gordon, moving on. I've not been to that one um, for, and that's I think what Whiskey Unscripted can do at its best is just lift a little lid on what happens. It almost it's almost like the secret world of whiskey. Could you? Because I've not been to the Can uh, Festival, which is a, yeah. about people from the travel retail industry coming together to meet yeah, the brands. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a trade festival. It's a business to business festival. So we are really we would go there as Ian McLeod Distillers, or Diageo would go as Diageo. Very much a corporate led sort of um, not corporate, but you know a, a range of products which you then speak to all these operators who run shops in Hong Kong Airport, Singapore Airport. London, obviously, all these different places, and we, we you try and sell your wares to them for want of a better word, and uh, that's really what the whole point of the the Cannes Festival is. It runs normally, normally it's about last week, and uh, you know it's not a ni- it's it's a nice part of the world to go to in early October, nice. and uh, <laughs> and um, and spend a bit of time. But unfortunately, this time it's not happened. So I was actually partaking yesterday in a virtual live virtual tasting, not for whiskey. I have to say we were doing it for Edinburgh Gin, but. Um, um, you know, just to, and you know, it went very well. We were doing it from the in Edinburgh, but yeah, these are the kind of things that we've had to adapt to do, and and you know, it's just the way the industry is at the moment. But no, things are things are going. Right, yeah, we're, we're moving on. Things are going okay, good, but good, we just good. want to be back to normal. Of course we do. Just dropping off a little bit there, Gordon. Just a bit internet. One day we'll be in the same room together recording. One day. But, oh, and one more bit of news, Gordon, before I forget. Um, there was a bit of filming done at Glengoyne, which I featured in. And it was by Cask88. Now, we've got an interview coming up about independent bottling. So, yep, keep that. They are also independently bottle and buy and sell casks. But they also started a YouTube channel and uh, interviewed a lot. The great and the good. I don't know where I fit into that. Um, and they came to Glengoyne really about the sustainability angle and about our environmental credentials at Glengoyne. And they've also featured uh, tr- Trees for Scotland in that episode. So really good. Out October the 14th, 2020 on their YouTube channel and Facebook page, um, Casket 88. So have a look for that. And I interviewed them, but we'll get, we'll maybe put that interview in next week because the interview will be there for a few weeks time. Gordon, so that's just a wee bit of news before I forget. On that point about the hidden world of whiskey, you conducted an interview with yeah. some independent bottlers, and I've listened to I a little did. bit of it. Fascinating. Can't wait to listen to it. And they were talking about that hidden world of whiskey brokers. So I don't want to ruin the interview, but that's what I love to just peel back and just have a look inside these murky worlds that you might not get to see very often. So, independent well, bottlers. Yeah, I mean, I th- well, I think what we was, we were keen to sort of say to people is you know, a lot of people may not be so aware of independent bottlers and may not be so aware of what their role is in the industry and you know independent bottlers serve a, a, a real purpose in terms of um, buying whiskey from producers um, and they will buy casks of whiskey they can also buy new make it doesn't have to be uh, exi- existing casks of whiskey and generally independent bottlers will either then 
you know, produce single casks or they'll blend some of them together and create a brand. So if we look at some of the major independent bottlers that, 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 that there are, if we think of somebody like Caden Heads, Caden Heads is from, from Springbank and actually who we're about to interview used to work for Caden Heads. Um, you know, they're a, they're a independent bottler, really, really well known for their quality and, um, you know, also, you know, been around for many years with shops around Europe, you know. Then you have, I, you know, slightly different style would be somebody like Douglas Lane, which is um, Cara Lane and her father, uh, Fred, who who have brought um, much more branded element to their independent bottling. So, so whiskies like Big Pete and, and Timorous Beasties and um, Scallywag are all whiskies that they don't produce, but whiskies that they've blended together or to make um to make um you know a brand yeah. so th there's a whole range of different people even even us at ian mcleod we had of course um chieftains is, a, is an independent bottling brand that we have oh. um can i just say Gordon, and, and, yeah the 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 festival i've referred to a few times the viking cinderella um which sails out from stockholm we had a chieftains cigar malt and it, there was the fastest selling whiskey on the boat. I mean, these are the brands maybe not well known in this country, but my goodness, they were queuing up for it. Uh, and it's great to see. That's a lovely sherried uh, cigar malt. Yeah, so you've got you've got other ones that I think are breaking the mold a little bit, like the Boutique Whiskey Company. Yeah. Um, and Speciality Drinks, um, who are, that's um, really sort of master of malt and um, uh, the whiskey exchanges arms of their independent bottling. Um, and you've got some really other well-known ones as well that were associated with brands. So if you look at, a, um, for example, Signatory um, is a is 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 the same effectively the same group of people as Edward Dower Distillery, mm -hmm. um, and we also have, for example, um, uh, I'm trying to remember their name. Somebody like um, McKillop's Choice, McKillop's Choice, for example, which yeah. is which is. Uh, which is Tom and Tools, sort of the same sort of group as Tom and Tools. So, so there's a whole range of them, and and really, what's the rule? Were they? Uh, I, I tell you what, Gordon, Gordon and McPhail. We can't yeah. since we're both Gordons. Another one, well, no, Gordon McPhail. God, yeah. They were. Well, they God, they yeah. must be. They were the, the biggest. Well, the Gordon and McPhail, huge business, huge huge business in terms of many many different aspects. They own Ben Rumick Distillery. They're building another distillery. Some of the amazing stocks of whiskey they've got. Yeah. Um, and so Gordon McPhail, probably one of the most influential uh, in terms of the, just their sort of variety of products that they have. So there's a whole range of them and, and never, ever discount them. But certainly, you know, they offer something a little bit different sometimes. And um, that's the real point. But, you know, they are at the mercy of what they can get from distillers, from okay. producers. And so that can be positive sometimes, maybe if there is a bit more in the supply network. But if there isn't... They, you know, sometimes they may not be getting the, the, the quality they're looking for, but that just depends on a range of different factors. So Relationships you, being one of them. Okay, sorry, Gordon. Uh, so who did you meet up with then? Let's set up the interview, because so, I really want to listen to it with my Cotswold single malt. Well, basically, um, I wanted to interview Mark and Kate Watt, who, who are both industry veterans. I would use the word veterans, but uh, Mark, uh, Mark's got a great sort of backstory, which he touches on in terms of, you know, being being a Speyside lad, uh, loving his whiskey, lived on the McAllen estate, um, worked at the Craig Ellachie, worked up in 
sort of Elgin area and then moved to Campbelltown, worked for Caden. He's, he's done a lot and he's a well-respected guy within the industry. And Kate, his wife, um, has, has worked for Springbank. She's worked for Glenfartless. And, and really, I think they got to a point that from, from, their, from their perspective with a young family, they wanted to, to run their own business. And, and so they, they went through the process of becoming an independent bottler. And I think that's a really interesting story. Um, and, and there's one or two other people that are doing it, you know. Um, and, and, you know, we've got um, Kenny ourselves. We've got Kenny yes. who works for us. Kenny McDonald has done that as well. Um, and he's started his own Dram Moore independent bottling business. And, and I think that's a really interesting sort of just to hear what you have to go through and, and all the things you need to understand to maybe become an independent bottler. So, Set Kate up. and Mark. Great. Here we go. Let's have a listen. So, on Whiskey Unscripted, I would like to welcome two very good friends of mine, Mark and Kate. How are you? Very well, thanks. Very well. Thanks, Gordon. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Uh, another, it's actually Friday, another Friday, um, in a bit more restrictions than we have been, but yeah, no, not bad at all. How's life with you guys? All good? Yeah, pretty good, actually. Mark and Kate, you obviously set up what whiskey? What about two or three, four or five months ago, something like that? Technically, we founded the company in December last year, but we didn't right. do anything until January, March. February, March. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we took a few months off. You know, <laughs> quite right, quite right. Didn't want I to mean, work too hard. Yeah, yeah and then obviously running. just, and I think the, 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 if if you obviously had foreseen what was coming, obviously starting it in March, you were like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, it really wasn't ideal timing. <laughs> no. Also, just to kind of add to the non-ideal timing, I was due a baby in May. Of course, yes. Yeah, yes. so we have a five-month-old yes. kicking oh, about, as well as a five-year-old. So, yeah, that's just kind of adding. And then we're not even thinking about Brexit, because that's just... Oh, that can be next year's problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, there's, 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 they just keep coming at the moment, but that's fine. But ideal, ideal situation to set up a new company, really. I, I think that when you read all the manuals, that's what they say. Do it in a pandemic. It's yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a bit like that old adage, that, you know, when, when things are bad, people say you should actually market yourself more. Um, and um, yes, pandemic, start a whiskey business. Why not? Yeah, do you know, though, it's actually... It's not been that bad, and I don't think it's actually, like, we've been very lucky. I don't think it's really slowed things down mm. much. No. And mm-hmm. and we had no customers before, so we've not lost any. No, that's true. <laughs> that is a positive. I mean, that's the best yeah. thing about having a datum of zero. Yes. Well, that's it. We went from, we're went. we like, the fastest growing Scotch whiskey company this week, because yeah. we went from, like, zero to... Five bottles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had no on-trade business. We now sell ten bottles. That's that's a positive, or whatever it may be. Yeah, that that's a positive position to be in, and it can only get better, of course. Absolutely. Um, so, you two have been in the industry for a long, long time. Combined, probably, I shudder to think if you had the years up, but a long we time. Had, we did. It's about forty years, which is quite worrying. Quite so, Kate, let's start with you. What is your history in whiskey? Um, I started off at Springbank, straight out of uni. Yep. Um, doing all the kind of festival circuit, travelling about, um, export mm-hmm. side. Yeah. And then after six or seven years there, I think. I don't know, it's your history. I know, I'm looking at you. <laughs> I then met Mark, moved up to Speyside yep. and worked at Glen Farkless for seven yeah, or so years. Um, yeah. Similar kind of thing, like looking after export markets, mainly France, Spain. Using your wonderful French. Yeah. Yeah, using the languages. 
Um, sorry that's about an that. order coming in. That's an order coming in. <laughs> no, no customers have that number. It's probably my mum. Oh, I'll ignore nah, that. Yeah, <laughs> mum with the child. Um, so, yeah, um, all the export side of things. So, worked for two great um, independent family run yeah. Scotch yeah. whiskey companies. Um, yeah. And then when we had Zach, I stopped working because travelling around all over the place and having a small child doesn't really. It's not conducive. Work. No, no. It's conducive when one of you does it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not maybe not both of you doing it. Yeah. Although we would have been tempted at times, but um so I've had kinda a few years off, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. Um doing the odd whiskey tour and tasting and stuff in Campbelltown and mm-hmm. then yeah, went into business with my husband, which we're quite surprised how well that's gone as well. We thought we might kill each other, but so far but okay. <laughs> but if well, I go missing. Well, <laughs> yeah. Knowing you both, you're, I think you're fairly similar, maybe. I think you've got, I think you're quite similar people, but uh, that's a personal opinion. So maybe that works really well. Um, yeah. And I think that's always good. If you're going to work together and be married, I think that's always a good thing. But uh, Does obviously, help, yeah. obvi- obviously being an expert in that area of marriage, <laughs> etc. Um, Mark, what about you? I was, int- it was just as a bit of context, in our last inter- last uh, episode, we interviewed Tatsuya, so um, he was telling us all about the Craig Ellicke, and you're obviously a Speyside boy, you're, that's where yes. you're from, aren't you? You were, Yeah, I'm you know, born, well, born in Craig Ellicke and moved to McAllen when I was 18 months old. Uh, yeah. If you look on the internet, it says I was born at McAllen, but that's not true. Um, I, but I lived <laughs> there most of my life. The Highlander Inn, in fact, was where I learnt to, learnt to drink. Um, <laughs> well, they did a good job. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good cheaters. Uh, I've, I've, I've been going to that bar since I was eight years old, so uh, yeah. I, I, I know it well. Uh, but yeah, I grew up basically started working behind the bar at uh, the Craigellicay Hotel uh, when I was 18. Got a yeah. job at McAllen in the warehouse at the same day. Mm-hmm. The only reason I got the job was because I could reach the top shelf. Um, <laughs> Is that McAllen or the bar? <laughs> no, no, at the bar. I couldn't reach the top shelf. Have you seen the McAllen yeah, warehouses? Um, although we did jump across the top of them. Um, that's a whole other story. But uh, then went to uni at Napier in Edinburgh, worked uh, behind the bar at the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society mm-hmm. and worked with Royal Malt Whiskies and yeah. then got my first real job, uh, if you can call it that, uh, we, you and Shand at Duncan Taylor. Um, yes. Travelled around the world with him, um, had a lot of fun for eight or so years and Kate moved up to Speyside and then I got a job in Campbelltown. <laughs> So that was really sensible. Yeah. Um, and then was with heading up Cadenheads for the last eight years. And mm-hmm. then parked company with them in November and thought, want to want to stay in the whiskey industry, obviously. Yeah. Also love Campbelltown. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to stay here with stay the here. kids and stuff. It's a good place. So to un- unless Glen Scotia was going to give me a job. Uh, the only Quite other limited option, options. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the only other option was to start up on our own. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Which is quite, I mean, it seems quite daunting, but for as long as I've known Mark, he's said how much he would like to have his own whiskey company. Yeah. Um, well, there you go. Yeah. Although that said, we'd always said, you know, because when I moved back to, well, moved to Camptown and you came down and you thought, no, nah, we should never work in the same company. It'll never work. Uh, but I think it's slightly different when... It's our company. When it's our company. Yeah. Because yeah. if I'd... Yeah. I was going to say, if I'd went to Glenfartless, like George Grant would employ me. <laughs> if I'd went to Glenfartless, I'd be stepping in your shoes. Or, like, if you'd came into Caddenheads, it would have been 
a different yeah. dynamic than, yeah. than working together for our own business. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think when you do, you know, you've both got such experience as well. And, and, and uh, you know, I think coming together, it's going to be a, a huge success for sure. And uh, you, so you launched your first whiskies, what, two or three months ago, two months ago, a month ago? About a week ago. About a week ago. <laughs> was it only a week ago? It seems it like a month. I've, I know, that's just because ty- we've been like hoofing it onto social media all the time. But no, the yeah. bottles only actually came out last month. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, and it took a while to get them from the bottom hole onto shelves. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the export orders are going out next week, hopefully. Yep. Um, some of them have some got them picked up this week. Yeah. So. Great. And we've just got to get some whiskey up to make at the whiskey shop in Dufton, and then that's all the oh, UK deliveries done. Yep. Fantastic. Uh, that's brilliant. So you obviously, just for people who maybe are you know, not so familiar with the sort of industry, you obviously don't... You, you, this is whiskey that you... You're, you've, you're basically an independent bottling business. Yes. Um, and so what we get have been asked a lot about is a lot of people hear about, oh, independent bottlers, and, oh, I can bottle a whiskey and put the brand name on it, but, I'm not, you know, there's a little bit of confusion out there about maybe what an independent bottler is. Is an independent bottler, you can buy whiskey, you can buy spirit, you, there's a whole range of different options, isn't there? Yes. Yes. So can you uh, just give us a sort of overview of being an independent bottler, the sort of steps you need to go through, because I think there's a lot of budding independent bottlers out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's always been independent bottlers. You know, most um, big whiskey brands, Johnny Walker, Chivas, they started off technically as independent bottlers. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes independent bottlers get a, a raw deal. People think, oh, they're bottling the stuff that the distillers don't want or whatever. But yeah. there's always a good you know, relationship um, mm. between independent bottlers and distillers. As I always say, we love them, they hate us. Um, but it's uh, it, it's it's not really that bad. Um, but there's different ways of doing. It. You've got you've got the big guys like Gordon Fail or Cadenheads or Eastwood or whatever that will, you know, have huge amounts of casks that they buy. Yeah. Uh, Gordon Fail obviously have filling contracts with different distillers, buying new make, will be laying down casks or whatever, um, for for a longer time. Then you get people like us that are new mm. on the scene and don't have the the funds to lay down casks yeah. yet. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we're buying buying casks and bottling them fairly soon after we we buy them. Yeah, we, we've got a, maybe a six eight months worth of stock at the minute. Maybe a twelve months of stock. Well, that'll hopefully grow. But we're buying. But again, there's a romantic image, and this is one of the things that's probably wrong with me. Is I keep shattering, shattering people's illusions, people. <laughs> <laughs> um, particularly Kate's. Um, but um, there's. Uh, there's the illusion we walk around distilleries, walking around the warehouse, finding these hidden casks that everyone's forgotten about, you know. We'll just walk up to Tamdu and chap on the door and go, oh, can, can we get in the warehouse? I'd like to pick some casks, please. Well, this one looks lovely. This one does look lovely. They all look lovely. But, um, but it doesn't work like that. Occasionally we do buy direct from distilleries. Um, mm-hmm. Very rarely. Yep. But most of the time we're buying from brokers. The brokers are the kind of hidden the dark side of the whiskey industry because no one ever really speaks about them. You know, no. you, you never read about them in books, you know, there's never interviews in magazines or podcasts or whatever with brokers. No, and they don't generally have websites or no. it's... it's, it's all pro- you need to know to be in the know. Um, <laughs> and so some of these guys I've dealt with for 20 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they'll get offered parcels of cast from the, the distiller companies. Maybe there's been a parcel of cast was going for a blend um, that 
the sails weren't quite right or they changed their direction, so yeah. these casks are excess. And just because a cask's been destined for a blend doesn't mean it's bad whiskey. So that's a <coughs> misconception that many people have. You know, yeah. the the blend, the big blends, you know, don't become the biggest blends in the world, biggest selling whiskies in the world without putting good stuff in them. Um, no, exactly. So there's, it's not like it's inferior casks that are being offered. No. Out. No. Um, and then we we buy them. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a bottling hall. Um, every no. company I've worked for before has had that, and whereas so now we've that's been a bit of a challenge for us is getting get it to bottle. And then you've got to make sure you comply with all labelling requirements. That's yes. People don't. Um, and then, uh, you know, get it to market. Mm -hmm. so it's fairly yeah. simple. But, but we've, we've been very lucky with setting up because we have been in the industry for ages. And Mark's basically been doing this job for the last 15, 20 years anyway, just yes. other people's money. So, <laughs> like, we, we have the contacts with... Well, Mark has contacts with the brokers and mm -hmm. we've got access to casks. We're lucky that we've got friends on that side of things who are happy to provide us samples to mm -hmm. taste before you can buy the cask because quite often brokers won't provide samples. Um, mm. So you're buying yes. blind, which we're not in a position or we don't want to do at the moment. Well, when you're not buying a lot of whiskey, buying blind is a bit of a risk, isn't it? Exactly. When Once you're, you're further when on... When you're buying a parcel of 50 casks, it's yeah. easy. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then, on the other end of it, like, again, we've both got good contacts with distributors. We've been working in market yeah. for donkey's yeah. years, so we know the distributors, we know the retailers. Mm. But it was that middle bit that neither of us had any experience of. They kind of mm. actually physically, like, the logistics of getting it from the cask that you've chosen... To a bottle into so, bottles yeah. and then out to the customers yeah um so that's been a bit of a learning curve yeah what, one yeah. thing one thing i would like warn anyone starting up on their own uh, don't because you'll be our competition no, <laughs> um, no, uh, do it's it's a, it's a great industry but when it comes to cash brokering you need to know what you're what you're doing and who you're dealing with because there's there's lots of different people offering casks and there'll be people offering casks that they don't own they've been maybe shown a list by someone else so they've then put their markup on and they're selling casks on behalf of someone else and, and you can sometimes be offered the same cask four or five times by different mm -hmm. people and um, so depending on what way around it is you know it depends on the price. I've been offered similar casks at yeah. five times the price of the other ones and mm -hmm. um, so if you're not careful uh, yeah. or you don't know what you're doing um, you could end up paying well over the odds for, yeah. for stuff. Yeah the other um, thing to point yeah. out sorry Gordon no, about your business is like you know, you can't just kind of decide, oh, I'm going to start buying casks of whiskey and bottling them. There is actually a lot of yeah. kind of legal loopholes that you need yes. to go through as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. You need to be registered with HMRC to be mm -hmm. a fit and proper person to own bonded we, goods. We passed. We passed. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's, that should be fine for most people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, you forget all these sort of loopholes that you have to sort of jump through and things like that. But, I mean, I think that the, the really... And the area that I get asked so much about now, and I think it's changing and you see it now, is that, you know, when you buy a cask, what determines... So say you buy a cask of 30-year-old Beaumore, <laughs> let's say. That would be nice. That would be nice, I'm sure. I have been offered. Yeah. But I would have to sell the whole of Campbelltown. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yes, yes. We could exchange Campbelltown for a cask of 30-year-old Beaumore. Um, what determines... And, and this is the bit I don't probably know enough about personally, is what determines 
whether you can put that name on the bottle. Uh, what what name is on the title deeds, basically? Right. Um, when when you get the delivery order, mm -hmm. it will say you know like we bought a Highland distillery that we can't name. Uh, we know exactly what it is, but um, on the delivery order that comes with it, it was simply marked as single Highland malt. Right. Um, so, but if the paperwork comes in with, you know, uh, Bowmore single malt, Bowmore single malt on it, then my understanding is that you can then use that because it's been passed down the line. Yeah. With with that on the, the paperwork. Distillery name. <coughs> yeah. So, so uh, would distillery would casks with distillery names be more expensive than casks without distillery names? Generally speaking, uh, yes. Uh, depending on the distillery, some it makes no difference. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's always things, you know, if you get a cask of Lagavulin, say, you can kind of nudge, nudge, oh, it's a cask of Lagavulin, but, um, you know, mm -hmm. if, it, if it's, I'm, I'm not going to say another distillery, because that would be disrespectful to say that they're not the same lines, but you know what I mean, if yeah. it's a, a, a lesser known distillery, um, you can pick them up quite often for cheaper. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And But it's funny, you get some distilleries that parcels, they're happy to sell with their name on it, and there's other parcels from the same distillery that they put out under a different name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get ones that you, you get ones that you'll never get. You know, like um, well, Bovenies, Burnside these days, and you know Westport, and all these other names. Mm -hmm. So people kind of know what they are, but they're technically blended malts um, because they've been teaspooned. Yeah, yeah. Which is quite a fun thing. A lot of people think that there's teaspoons. People are going around teaspooning in a little bit of whiskey into each individual cask, but most of these things will have been vatted together into, you know, twenty-five liter, twenty-five thousand liter tanks, and then there'll be a teaspoon added to that, you know, rather than someone going round each individual cask. You know. <laughs> yes, with a teaspoon. Yeah, for, for, for it's a nice four, image, though. I quite yeah. like that. For four days in a warehouse. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's just you know, certain brands want to protect their, their, you know, their sort of single malt brands and don't want to be seen to be. Yeah, you know, that, that's the sort of thinking and behind I, I that. Th I the think there's, al there's, also, there's also a bit of the brand maybe doesn't want to be seen to be selling off lots of yeah. stock. Yeah, um, particularly if their own stock is quite limited or sought after or whatever, then maybe mm. if it's available through independent bottlers as well, it takes away from that desirability a bit. I don't know. Yeah, yeah and, and, and as a general rule, and I think this is probably fair across the industry, is that, you know, a 12-year-old whatever, let's say a 12-year-old, whatever distillery, will generally, from an independent bottler, will generally be at a lower price than the proprietary bottling. Generally not speaking, always, not, but not always. And then you've also got quite often independent bottlers are bottling at higher strengths. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. being a limited edition, you know, if Distillery X comes out with a single cast 12-year-old cast mm -hmm. strength, Mm -hmm. It's going to be much more. It's going to be a lower price from an independent bottler yeah. for a like for like thing because yeah. well, a distillery doing a single cask is always that's well, a pain for distilleries. It is, know. yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and getting it distributed. It's like oh, we can put two bottles to each market. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is never great either. Yeah, that's very very interesting, and I think I think you know it's it's a it's an area you've got a lot of friends who are independent bottlers, obviously such as yourselves and. The, Douglas Lanes and a whole load of people that do it and and you know there's some real gems of whiskies out there as well and uh, you know it's certainly uh, more and more um, 
diverse nature of it now. And you also do rum and things as well, don't you? Yeah, we've got we did we started with the rum. Yeah. Uh, from Belize. Um nice. Which was very nice. We it is, it's lovely. It's, Sadly, it's been selling very well. I know that's not something I should say, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I was kind of hoping to keep a couple of cases for us. But, um, <laughs> Don't think that's going to happen. That's <laughs> um, oh but yeah, we always loved rum, and I think there's um, there's a, a growing rum scene, obviously. But yeah, there's there a is. Good, there's a good crossover these days for, with rum drinkers to whiskey, and generally any other brown spirits. I think if you go back to you know when we were boys, Gordon, and we started in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, uh, you would go to whiskey sh people were much more pigeonholed um, yeah. people were rum drinkers or they were whiskey drinkers or they were cognac drinkers mm -hmm. you know, and you would go to a whiskey show but now you tend to go to spirits shows more. maybe whiskey led mm -hmm. um, but there'll be, a, there'll be rum sections there'll be cognac sections and I think mm -hmm. in general people are, are looking for other things not yeah. to complement what they're, they're drinking at the end, they'll always come back to whiskey as their main thing. I know you look at our shelves, we've got lots of random stuff as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we're looking to do, like whiskey's always going to be our main focus. Um, yeah. And a bit of rum, we've got some, yeah. another cask of rum. I think anything that comes in a cask, if we like it, there's mm -hmm. the option to bottle it. Yeah, and as long as it's in the same kind of philosophy of that, you know, natural, no added sugars, um, yeah. no colouring, etc, yeah. etc. You've heard it here first, there's a mezcal coming, everybody. Yeah. Oh, I'd love I'd mezcal. Love <laughs> um, uh, and now, then a, a single cask in the Negroni. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, fantastic. I did have that odd urge this morning for Negroni. I did, Negroni and it breakfast. just put me right in the mood for it. <laughs> I, d oh, I, I, do, I do always have a five litre... Um, Vat. Vat of Negroni yeah. downstairs do for the emergencies. It. One of my favourite cocktails. Um, so, what is in the range at the moment? What, what are your new? What, what are your? What's your whiskey lineup at the moment that you, that's for sale? Um, so, our first we did five casks. Yeah. We've got a twelve-year-old Manicamore, mm -hmm. a nineteen-year-old blended malt, a, right. an eleven-year-old Kalila, a ten-year-old unnamed Highland, and mm. then the thirteen-year-old. Billy's rum. Travellers. Fantastic. Travelers rum. Quite a diverse <laughs> taste profile across all of that. Yeah, that's what we were kind of aiming for as well. Yeah. Because, like, as Mark said before, we only are going to have these five whiskies for quite a while. And if we were doing mm -hmm. tastings with them, like, we didn't want to get bored <laughs> of doing the same ones all the time. We wanted it to be no. five products that worked well as a kind of, as a range. Yeah. Instead of just kind of five individual things, if that makes sense. I mean, once we yeah. have more releases than that, then for doing tasting things, you can always pick into the back catalogue or whatever. Um, mm. So the range doesn't necessarily need to be a tasting on its own. Mm -hmm. So much, not so much further down the line. But I think it makes it makes sense, uh, you know, not to have everything all the same. Obviously, mm. the at the end of the day, you're always going to have much more space sides than anywhere else because that's the best region. Um, <laughs> just because there's more distilleries there doesn't mean it's the best. <laughs> okay, I mean, well, obviously we started the Camelton Whiskey Company, so that's the best region. But Camelton uh, Whiskey and and space are the only regions you need. But no, um, it, so there will be more um, more space side whiskies in the lineup just by the nature of the beast. Mm. There is um, more whiskies available, isn't there? Yeah, from there? yeah, yeah. Um, Whereas probably the the area that there's probably least available is probably Isla being one of them. Yeah. Yeah, I probably can get access to more Isla than Campbelltown. Right, yeah. well, of course, Campbelltown, yeah, of course. Yeah, um, yeah, everyone. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. But we do, we do have some, yeah. potentially. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
but uh, exciting. Yeah, it's if if like we look out the window looking at Springbank Distillery from our house. So if I can work in the tunnel into the warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> You keep yeah, saying yeah, this. Yeah. If there's ever a theft the, the from Springbank, the police are going to be at our door straight away. <laughs> yeah, and they'll be like, mm, I wonder who's still there. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So have you have you embraced the virtual world? Have you been doing virtual tastings? Uh, yeah, yeah, we but... have actually. Uh, we just did the virtual whiskey show with the Whiskey Exchange this week. Yeah, I saw and that. Then it was pretty good, actually. Yeah, yeah. I thought um, I, th I thought the platform was really good. The way that they did it was quite good. Um, yeah, and um, I. Think I th yeah, uh, like everything's a learning curve. I thought I thought it was really good, though. We'd probably like a few tweaks just so that people know that you're live on stand a bit more instead mm -hmm. of me just sitting uh, <laughs> looking at myself. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. for us, like being able to do the virtual stuff yeah. for a new business is mm. actually really good because well, it saves you a lot on travel expenses. Let's be honest; yeah. it's not as much fun, maybe, but from a practical point of view and the, yeah. the barbells afterwards are a lot cheaper yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no yeah no well yeah absolutely and uh i mean you know obviously we've all done a lot of traveling and things but i think virtual is going to be part a little bit of what we do going forward you know in, in yeah the, in, i don't in think the few years. Gonna it's go not going to disappear it's not going to disappear <laughs> and it's it's I just it'll sorry, work well for us i think it'll work well yeah. for us so we yeah. can you know speak to people around the world without yeah. having and time difference makes no difference when you've got a four month old no so i mean <laughs> no. in the next in the next week or two we've got the whiskey lounge festival in a box which is down in leeds mm -hmm. yeah. we've got so you're doing a tasting for the glasgow whiskey club Denmark. Um, we've got a tasting in denmark we've got spirits in the box with the nectar in belgium mm -hmm. so i mean that's like you know four five different yeah. locations in the space of yeah. A week, which if Mark was off doing that and leaving me with a five-month-old or vice versa, you know, we wouldn't be hugely happy with it. No. But as no. it is, it's like... No, it you know, suits you guys at the time, online. doesn't it? It suits mm -hmm. you at the moment. And and you, and ultimately, you know, at the moment you've got five casts of whiskey, so that's not going to take long for it to disappear, we'd suggest. So I suggest there's more whiskey coming. There is. Yes, there How is. exciting. How uh, fantastic. We have no, but yeah. Five casks in November. Yeah, we've got another. We're trying to get another release punted out before Brexit, just in case it all goes mm -hmm. horribly wrong. That's a technical whiskey term, everybody. Punted out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a technical um, whiskey term. So we've already chosen our next release, yeah. right? And then we need to buy some more casks for third release. So that'll be exciting too. How exciting! That's fantastic. Well, I'm glad it's going so well. Now. Um, Whiskey Unscripted, we have, we, we are, you know, we, we, we like to sort of get a, a feel for people's sort of whiskey experiences and what, what, what um, maybe one of their top experiences have been in the world of whiskey. And now you guys, as you said, over 40 years experience. What would, if I said to you, what was one of your most memorable events, memorable, for want of a better word, sessions, um, or most memorable sort of whiskey moment, what would it be? Kate, I'm going to start with you. Oh, Putting us on the spot here. I know, I know. I mean, obviously meeting Mark. Well, I mean... You know, that's got to be a... I, I don't know whether to go highlight or lowlight with that, <laughs> but it was certainly memorable. I'm, I'm just glad you remember. I know, because um, we actually met at um, Whiskey Live Tokyo, which is quite a nice kind of... Uh, Whiskey story. Live Tokyo. Yeah. And we, we all have a soft spot for Japan, don't we? Uh, yes. I love Japan. I um, love Japan. I, I, did, I was fortunate enough to work for Suntory, so 
I love Japan. I know Mark particularly loves Japan. I, I knew you, and I knew you all loved it. So yeah. it is a wonderful market, isn't it? Yeah, I did love that. Another kind of whiskey moment that sticks in my head was I had like literally just started at Springbank, so it was like mm -hmm. <coughs> 23, 24 at a whiskey show. So in, a couple of years ago, Kate. Okay. Yeah, a few years ago. <laughs> um, at a whiskey show in Austria. And I was mm -hmm. on stand and chatting away to everybody. And as you do, these things are always great fun. And in the bar afterwards, the Austrian Whiskey Club were there and they had some um, 1966 local barley Springbank, mm. which they were all opening and trying. And um, at that point, the only Springbank that was actually on the market at that time was the 10-year-old because it was in that kind of between stock period. Yeah, yeah. It had just gone from the CV and the 21-year-old. And when I started, the 10-year-old was all that was available. Yeah. And um, this whiskey club, who I'd never clapped eyes on before until that day, were like, oh, Kate, come and join us, and poured me a huge dram of this 1966 and shared it with me. Mm. And I think that's part of the whole whiskey thing is people coming together and sharing whiskey. And, um, totally. I like that side of it. I think totally, that's what's and one it, of my favourite things about it. Absolutely, and that's what's made this last six to nine months so difficult. Is that you know you we're not selling bricks, we're selling a product <laughs> that brings people together. We're not, you know, luckily we're not selling those inane objects. It's a social product. It's a product that really does create memories and creates friendships and all the things that we all love about this industry. It's been really hard not to do for the last, you know, six months think, or so. I think that's one of the really hard thing, well for me anyway, for doing the virtual tastings, uh, you know, because mm. when it's finished, you just switch off. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you turn off the computer and you're like, oh, I'm at home. Mm -hmm. You know, normally mm -hmm. you finish the tasting, you have a few more drams, you go for a pint, you know. Have a chat you with have a everyone. Chat, or after yeah. the show, you go, we all go and meet up with all the other whiskey people and, mm -hmm. yeah, we've had some legendary <laughs> ones. Uh, <laughs> One or two, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly, and that's the point. And I think you know, I was speaking to, and I think the whiskey show, the virtual whiskey show in London, was 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 a really good, good effort. But these things have their limitations because for a lot of people who go to the shows as well, not from our perspective, they love the camaraderie of speaking to people like us, but they also love of seeing their friends there as well. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think virtual whiskey shows, while filling the void, are never going to be anything compared to a real one. They no, will never, no, ever get no. to that level. And that's why we need to get back to, as soon as we can, doing real whiskey shows and all those, you know, wonderful things that the industry does as a as a community almost, you know? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, so, so, what about you, Mark? Anything that rings, anything that sort of, from your sort of whiskey travels around the world, things, one thing that you think, now that is something that I particularly remember or don't remember <laughs> uh, yeah. there's, 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 there's lots that I don't remember um, I mean I could, I could go on just like the, the periods I could go on for days with stories of things that I half remember um, but there's, there's lots of like one one thing that always stands out in my head was I'm I've always been a huge Capardonna fan mm -hmm. um, and there's one day a friend of mine Roy Mathers uh, he grew up at McCallum for me yeah. But uh, he he used to do tours around Space Aid. Uh, I'm using my hands here to describe things, which is great for <laughs> radio. Um, and he had a group of Danes uh, visiting, and I went down and met them at Glen Grant Distillery, and we we had a drama Glen Grant there. That was fine. And then we just drove past Capardonnay Distillery, and it had mm -hmm. literally just been knocked down. 
Yeah. Um, and me and, uh, well, Roy knew the construction, the demolition people. Mm-hmm. And so me and the, the four Danes and Roy went and climbed up onto the rubble of the ex-distillery. And I just happened to have a bottle of 1972 Cap on me. As you do. As well, you do. Back, back in my Duncan Taylor days, I never left the house without a Capardonic on me, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things, you never know what might happen. You never, you never know when you might be walking past the distillery and it gets knocked down. And uh, I just remember standing, the bitter kind of sweet moment of standing on top of the pile of rubble of what was one of my favourite distilleries, drinking something that had been made there yeah. you know, 30 That's years earlier. It was quite a kind of poignant yeah. moment. I mean, it's... Bittersweet, as I say, mm. but I mean, there's so many yeah. other happier memories as well, but that's one that just yeah. sticks in my head. And my sales cap went through the roof after that. Well, yeah. <laughs> literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. So just before we finish, um, and it's a bit of a tough question, but just something that if I was to say to you, don't think about it too much. I could serve you a dram right now. What would you want? For me, it would probably be something coastal. I like the kind of West Coast ones. Mm -hmm. So Talisker, Highland Park, Kalila, that kind of obviously Springbank. Bit more Um, maritime-y. But yeah, that kind of style, probably. Okay. Yeah, I'd probably... See, it's tricky because there's so many. I know, Uh, I know. It's a very unfair question. Yeah, there's, you know... Some of the old Bowmore 66s, Capadonic 74s, uh, Imperials. Uh, I, was yeah. thinking, I was thinking your time, do the Dalbidi Dull, or how are you? Dalby Alley. Dalby Alley. Hi, Dalby Alley. Yeah. I'm fine. Um, it's a nice dram, isn't it? It is a cracking dram. But I think a lot of it is whiskey, it, it changes all the time. And the company you're with, like, I'd far rather yeah. have yeah, exactly. a, a, a rubbish dram with you in person right now than... Yeah, you know, then or something a unicorn amazing, bottle a unicorn by bottle yourself. By myself. Absolutely right. No, I completely agree. I mean, it's such a hard question. It's a nice question to ask, but it's a very and, and absolutely right. You, you're, I mean, I mean, I've said this story, I think, on this before, but I mean, you know, when you have you get into particular conversation time, the whiskey fits into it, and I think this is a bit, and I don't know what your view on this is, but I think when people hark back to whiskies from ten or fifteen or twenty or thirty years ago, and they go, oh. The Freud 10 isn't like it was back then or whatever. And yeah, there probably is, of course, changes. But what happens when you think of things like that is you amplify all aspects of it. So whether it was you were with the best friends in the world that you had and the whiskey plays that part in it, it was just at that moment, in that time, you remember the whiskey and it amplifies it. And we will look back at times now of whiskey when you're drinking whiskey from two, three, four years ago in 10, 15, 20 years ago and we go, God. That what whiskey was yeah. amazing, and and it and it's it's all about just how you remember things. Yeah, well, it's the whole nostalgia bit as yeah, well, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. I think there's also, I sometimes worry on the nostalgia thing as well, because you know when I was I, I've been fortunate to try great whiskey when I was working at the Craigellie Hotel. You know, I used to get to try all sorts of mm. amazing stuff when I was you know 18, 19 that I probably mm. didn't appreciate as much as I should have done at the time, although yeah. I did, um, but. There's also, like, you're sometimes scared to go back and open a bottle of something that you really, mm. really enjoyed in mm. case it's not as good as you remember. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah. you know, if that dram 
wasn't as good as you know because you're not in that moment with your friends mm -hmm. opening that bottle mm -hmm. again you're sat at home on a tuesday <laughs> afternoon by yourself um yeah watching watching mm -hmm. homes yeah. under the hammer it's not yeah. quite the same as it no we did we had that slight kind of worry though when we were opening the bottles of our actual bottled release yeah because yeah. we'd obviously tried to cast samples really liked them got it bottled but there's quite a long time period between choosing the cast and actually getting the bottles mm. and mm -hmm. there was that slight kind of oh i hope we still like them as much <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. which fortunately we did i mean we knew but it would but there's, there's always worry and you know particularly more so now when it's actually our name on the bottle and, and yeah, yeah. our money that's yeah we can't hide and try and blame <laughs> that on someone else oh, yeah, somebody, somebody yeah. else picked that cast like, yeah oh, who else works for you all <laughs> oh, right oh right no absolutely no 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 i i totally get it guys it's been really good to speak to you both thank you for uh taking the time out and i'm glad the internet connection sort of uh worked uh all the way from campbelltown to uh glasgow well we'll yeah. get a bit of string next time <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no it was great to speak to you as well yeah, yeah really and hopefully let's hope we see you both in normal when normal sort of service is hopefully resumed at some point in the near future i hope yes that would be um, very nice and um yeah good to good to speak to you thank you for being on whiskey unscripted thank, thank you fantastic thank you Ah, fascinating. Yeah, interesting, isn't really it? Good. Very interesting. And, you know, it, it, just interesting in terms of the geography, you know, them being in Campbelltown, the bottling is in Dumfries, all that sort of thing. And, yeah. and it really is a, it really is an interesting sort of just insight into the world of bottling your own whiskey. That's it. It's this insight, you know, that hopefully as uh, producers and people in the industry would like to bring to the, bring yeah. to the party, you know, things that you can't... Uh, wouldn't maybe exactly. normally see on a on a shelf in a shop when you buy your whiskey. So that's ah. that's why we're speaking of whiskey, Gordon. How are you getting on with the Tamdu? All five? gone, all gone, right. all gone. Okay. Um, and I think I think it's time we 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 be gone as well. <laughs> uh, this is a long episode, um, and we will be back with episode seven. But yes. uh, with with some of the old favourites, we'll be back. Yes, we'll do but, the A to Zs. Um, We've got all the stuff. We've got some great interviews lined up as well uh, in the next episode. But I hope you all enjoyed. That was fascinating, Gordon. And I've got yep. a little smidge left of my lovely English single malt, courtesy of the court. Get it. Done. Enjoy. See you soon. Nice to speak to you. Speak to you soon. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>